Welcome to week number five of our Next Gen Spiritual Initiative. So glad you're here uh, this morning. And before we dive into the message, I want to encourage you, uh, encourage you to make sure that you are here this afternoon for our family prayer walk. This really is um, an event for every one of us, especially if you have children. You're going to have a great time with them. It's from three to five. And even if you don't have kids, you know, you could just come here and help out the people who have too many kids, like Dan and I did. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just for everybody in our, our church family. Uh, Jay's going to be sharing some more of the details at, at the end of our service, uh, so you'll be kind of aware of how it's going to all work. But it's going to be a really great time, so I hope you'll be here for that. And, and then also want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't yet had the opportunity to attend one of our vision gatherings, we have two more this week. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday. We had over 200 people that have made it uh, so far, and we've got room for you to come, and you're going to hear some things uh, that are in addition to what else we've been talking about, and that'll be really helpful for you uh, as you are walking along this road of the next-gen journey. So hope that you will, will be here for that. If you haven't had a chance, you're going to have opportunities to sign up either on your, your program or this afternoon uh, when you come to the Family Prayer Walk, or you can just contact us online, and we'll take care of that. Well, today's message is called The Ripple Effect, and I have to kind of give you an advance warning. The introduction to this message is really, really long, and some of you who like to take notes and think it should all fit in the spaces that we give you in the program, you're going to get worried, okay? So I want to, I want to give your hearts rest, you know, and allow you to just relax. We're going to get there. Uh, have no fear. We will be done today somewhere between 2.30 and 3, I think. So... Well, the ripple effect, you know, we've all taken a small pebble at some time and tossed it into a still pond, right? And then we've watched the ripple effect as this little pebble causes ripples that grow larger and larger until they eventually encompass the entire pond. You know, the Bible tells us that every action we take on earth, even the smallest deeds, they cause a ripple effect that goes out, whether for good or for bad. I love the line in the movie Gladiator from Maximus when he stands before his fellow soldiers, and some of you are going to remember this, and he says to them, what we do here today will echo into eternity, right? And I'm standing before you today, and I'm saying that I believe that what we do here at Southwinds during next gen will ripple into eternity if we are faithful. If every one of us will listen to what God is saying to us, if every one of us will obey him, then together we can have an impact into eternity that is far, far greater than anything we can do on our own. It will be beyond us because what we do today impacts tomorrow. And that's really the heart of next gen. You know, if you're, if you're not really clear, let me remind you that what we're looking to do during next gen is we're seeking to grow our campus by building a 700-seat worship center that will uh, expand our capacity uh, over 50%. Uh, that will open up our, uh, our sprung, this room right here for our student ministry. They will move in here to get more than double the space they now have. That will then open up space for our children's ministry to go to where the students are right now. Uh, NextGen is going to increase our capacity by over 50%. We are seeking to invest in the next generation. And ultimately, when phase one and phase two, which is down the road, is completed, we're going to have more room uh, more ministry space for the next generation than we have on our entire campus uh, right now. We're also seeking to reach our region. 
uh, by investing into the lives of small groups so that we eventually have 1,000 adults in small group community all across Tracy, Mountain House, and Lathrop, all across the West San Joaquin Valley. And we've been sharing with you that this entire project, phase one, is estimated to cost about $5.9 million. During this next-gen season, we have a goal of at least $2.5 million in commitments, and that will enable us to move forward in carrying out this mission to reach our region. We believe that God has called us to this. We believe that next-gen is what God has for our next step, and we are committing ourselves to that. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard me share that our pastors and elders, uh, our our team has already committed over $160,000. We've made that commitment. And and if you find that Southwinds is your church home, if you've committed to that, then we are asking you to make a commitment too. We are asking you to respond to God's clear work here in our midst. We have seen over 1,000 people baptized in the last 13 years. We see every single Sunday about 500 students and children that are being served and discipled for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are asking each of us who's part of the Southwinds family to make a generous and sacrificial commitment to uh, this mission so that we can together impact the next generation. You're going to have that chance next Sunday on Commitment Sunday at the end of each service. Just so you know, ahead of time, we're going to have our regular offering as we always do. And then we're going to have a special time of worship. And there's going to be, there's going to be no, nothing really dramatic about it. We're just going to give people an opportunity as they feel led uh, to make a commitment to bring that one-time initial offering that we've been sharing with you about and then to, to make a 36-month next-gen commitment. And then Two weeks after that, on June 5th, you want to make sure your calendar is marked for this. We're going to have Celebration Sunday uh, when we will be able to share with the whole uh, Southwinds family uh, what God has done in our midst. And so it's very clear uh, that in this season, we are asking you to consider making a financial uh, commitment to the mission that God has given us here at Southwinds. I'm asking you to commit to it. But here's the thing. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 30 years, and so I know some things about some of us. And I know that for some of us, this whole kind of deal that we're doing just rubs you the wrong way. And so I need to say a couple of things as we get started just to kind of clear the decks. So first thing I want to say is if you are new here, if you are a guest here, and I know a number of you are, then you need to know Next Gen is not addressed to you. We're not asking this from you. We understand that it takes time for someone to decide uh, if God is calling you to be a part of this church. And so Next Gen is for those who consider Southwinds their church home. That means if you're a guest, we just want you to relax, okay? Um, Second, you may be someone who has been in a church in the past, and maybe that church has abused your trust with money. That happens sometimes. And maybe you come today and you don't trust us. And I want you to know that that's okay. We're a place for people to come and to explore and to kind of check things out and to observe. And if that's where you are, we accept that. But, but here's my caution. Uh, that period of time where you're weighing those things shouldn't go on indefinitely. And my longer-term encouragement for, for those who may have had bad experiences in the past is that, that you would be wise to find a church where you can trust the leadership. And I hope it's here. I really do. But if it can't be here, then I want to encourage you, please, please do not use the past as an excuse to disobey God's commands. 
Please do not allow what happened in the past to keep you from experiencing what it means to follow Jesus fully. Please, please do not make the mistake of of thinking that you can follow Jesus fully apart from growing in generosity. It's part of what it means to be a disciple. And so my heart for you is that as a pastor is that you follow Jesus and follow his mission fully. And I would love for that to be here. But if it can't be here, then I would rather you follow Jesus fully somewhere else than to stay here and live in that middle ground where you're missing out on all that God has for you. And then third, if you are part of the Southwinds family, if God has led you here and you've committed your life to be part of Southwinds, and if you understand as we do believe that that the church, the local church, is God's plan A to carry out his mission, then that means the call is for us to be fully devoted to that mission, that we should be people who are choosing to go all in with Jesus. And that must certainly include our finances. See, as your pastor, if you're part of the Southwinds family and you find that a season like this just kind of rubs you the wrong way, you, you, find, you do find that you just don't like this kind of thing, I would like to ask you this morning to consider something. If you tend to have a defensive, resentful attitude whenever the subject of generosity is brought up, would you be willing to consider that maybe, just maybe, something is amiss in your heart as regards to money. I think everybody knows what a check engine light is, right? That little red light on your dashboard that sometimes starts shining at you. You all know what that is? Um, That light never helps me. Because when that light comes on and it tells me to check the engine, I always do. I I stop the car and I open up the the, the hood and I look and the engine's right there. (laughs) It's always right there. But that doesn't do me any good, does it? Because what I really need, since I'm mechanically challenged, is I need, you know, one of the parts of the engine, the part that's having a problem to kind of, you know, wave a flag and say, hey, over here, fix me. I'm, a, I'm the problem. I need that to happen. And I'm just suggesting that maybe you could consider that whenever you are having a negative reaction to what is ultimately Jesus teaching on money, could it be that that's the check engine light of your heart showing up and flashing to tell you something's wrong? See, when you say, I don't want to hear about that. Don't talk to me about that. This doesn't apply to me ever. That just means something is wrong. And I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying, maybe you ought to consider that the reason you don't like this discussion is that money means too much to you. Maybe money is a God you worship and you don't like anyone messing with your idol. See, Jesus said over and over again that money is the number one substitute for God. And that means that this is a a perennially important question. Has money become our God? Every single one of us should be assessing that as we go through our lives. Because it is a danger for every single one of us. And when you find yourself recoiling from what the Bible teaches about money, shutting it off, ceasing to listen, then it should alarm you. And you should ask yourself, is there something going on in my heart that I need to pay attention to? And maybe in this season, if you find yourself irritated and angry with me, angry with Southwinds, you know, just just uncomfortable about this whole thing, maybe you should consider honestly where the source of the issue is. Now today, I want to consider with you a question that I know Uh, many of us have wrestled with for years. And it's kind of an ongoing question, but it's very focused 
to where we are right now in this season. And the question is, how do I know what I am personally responsible to give? Here's a problem that many of us have. On the one hand, a whole lot of us, we can be kind of legalists. And so no matter what we do, no matter how much we give, we always feel like we ought to give more. There's always another need out there, right? Always somebody who's hurting, always somebody who, who doesn't have enough to eat or shelter. And we just perpetually feel guilty. But then on the other hand, we're materialists and we like our money. And we want to hold on to it. And we don't like to give it away. And there's just this kind of poisonous cocktail that exists in our fallen hearts. You know, I I think that Christ's followers often fall into one of three errors when it comes to giving. Very quickly, uh, one of them is just they don't give. We don't give. We, We may say we follow Christ, but we don't think that following includes the sharing of our resources, even though Jesus had more to say about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Say, we think we can kind of opt out of those verses. They don't apply to me. And usually these are the people who resent when we talk about money precisely because this subject exposes our hypocrisy. See, these are the ones who sometimes find themselves giving just a little bit, just enough maybe to, you know, get God off my back. A second error is people who kind of pay what I'll call the God tax. These are people who tithe, and some of us do this. We give 10%, you know, but we do it to fulfill a rule. It's like the God tax, and we're trying to pay God off so that he will leave us alone. We're trying to pay God off so that we can kind of just move on. See, that's also an error. It's not what God wants. But then there's a third error, and this is Christ followers who always feel guilty. No matter how much they give, it's never enough. And every time you start to enjoy something in this life, you you feel guilty about it because there is always another need somewhere around the world. And and maybe maybe some of you are like that. You, You actually are really generous people, but you still wonder, am I giving enough and how do I know? You know, at different points in my life, I feel like I've found myself in all of these, three of these categories. And so what I want to do today is share with you some scriptural principles that will help us form a a balanced and biblical view of what we do with our our, our resources, our money. And this comes from a part of King David's life. And if you have your Bibles, you want to get them open to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And David shows us, he gives us a good example of how we can follow God with our resources. He shows us really, when you think about it, what it means to have an impact with our life that that goes out beyond us, that that ripples out into the next generation. And you know, the conclusions of all this might surprise you. This is probably not going to end where you think it's going to end. So I want to begin reading verses 1 through 3, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here's the story. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Here's what's going on at this point in David's life. God has established him as the king of Israel. God took David from the pasture, made him the king, won battle after battle for him. He is now Israel's greatest king. 
and the land is at rest. His kingdom is prospering. And David uh, sits down one evening, probably on his palace balcony, maybe sipping a decaf latte. I don't know. And he looks out over the kingdom and he sees all of God's blessing. And he's just overwhelmed with gratitude. And then his eyes turn and they fall on the tabernacle. And this tabernacle was a tent that God had instructed his people to build. It was to be the place where his presence dwelt. And and David looks at that, and it's been around for hundreds of years. It's probably a little bit ratty at this point. And David says to Nathan the prophet, this isn't right. I live in a house, a nice house that smells like cedar. God lives in a tent. I should build him something nicer. And Nathan Nathan, who's the prophet, he responds pretty much like like any pastor responds when someone who's wealthy comes and says they want to give. He says, go ahead, my brother, do what's on your heart. But now we see kind of the plot twist. Verse four, that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to live in? To dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says, David. Did I ever say I needed a house? Did I ever say, I'm tired of this drafty old tent. Could you spend some money on me so I can move out? David, are you trying to do me a favor like I need something from you? David, you think I need you to provide me a cedar house? Really, David? Cedar is for hamsters. I live in a place where the streets are made of gold. David, you have no idea what my house looks like up here. And David... If I needed a new place to live, would I be coming to you so you could do me a favor, spot me some money? I really think there's kind of a playful attitude that you see going on here. Now, now watch what happens next. Verses 8 through 11. God is still speaking. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And God says, David, You won't build a house for me. I am building one for you. See, God does not look down ever from heaven and say, at last, at last, someone rich enough to build my kingdom has stepped forward. I'm going to choose them because I need his money. Friends, do you understand? God created the universe. He doesn't need our money. He created the universe by the word of his power, the scripture says. God sneezes out fully furnished universes. Do you think he needs you? (laughs) He doesn't. Verse 18. 
says, Then David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Now, if you underline stuff in your Bible, and it's really a good idea, I would encourage you to underline the word sat in verse 18, and then the phrase made it known in verse 21. You see, David started out feeling like he needed to do God a favor, and he ends up sitting in wonder at God's glory. This reminds us that salvation is not about us doing something for God. Salvation is about God doing something for us. Salvation is about us knowing something about God and seeing who he is and what he's done. And then we sit in stunned awe in that God's presence, amazed and overwhelmed and grateful for all that he's done for us. You see, the house that God would build for David was not a temple made of bricks and wood and stone. It was a house built on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ, God's son, at the cost of his own blood. And in Christianity and following Jesus, yes, we, we do things for God, but it's never because God needs us. We do them always because we are stunned and amazed at what he has done for us. Now, I'm sharing this because it really debunks one of the greatest misconceptions about money, and many of us have it, and that is this, that we have to give because God needs our money. We're not doing next gen because God needs our money. See, this is actually the posture of a lot of pastors and a lot of churches, but it's wrong. Can I say it any more clearly? God does not need our money. I hope you see that our God is not weak, poor, or needy. God made the universe by the word of his mouth. He has limitless resources for his mission. And he just proved this to his disciples over and over, didn't he? Do you remember the time they needed money to pay a tax? They told Jesus about it, and Jesus said, hey, go throw a line in the water at the Sea of Galilee, pull in a fish, and they do that. They pull in a fish, and they open the fish up, and in the fish's mouth is the money needed to pay the tax. And it's like, what? You know, Jesus is not the fish whisperer. He didn't call the fish there. Jesus created that money in the fish's mouth. Do you remember the time there were 20,000 people all around Jesus and his disciples, and they were very, very hungry. They were far away, you know, no McDonald's or Burger King around for them to pick up a quick meal, and they were really in trouble. And Jesus asked his disciples what they should do, and they bring him a little boy's lunch, five loaves of bread, probably something like this, and a couple small fish, and Jesus feeds 20,000 people. You think God needs your money? You know, Jesus could do more in 15 minutes than Bill and Melinda Gates could do in 10 lifetimes because he's God. God has no needs. He never has. He never will. And if God did have a need, do you really think he'd come to you for help or me? 
Psalm 50, 12 through 15 says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? See, God doesn't need our money. But then he tells us to obey him. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. See, God doesn't approach us with needs. He gives us the gospel and the gospel produces in us hearts of thanksgiving, hearts that want to give back to God, hearts that want to glorify God and see his kingdom come on earth. And we glorify him when we serve him out of the overflow of all that he has done for us. See, I've been saying this in different ways, but let me say it again. During next gen, God is calling each one of us to make decisions today that will ripple out into tomorrow. Now, I've shared with you on a number of occasions, there are over 100,000 people in Tracy, Mountain House, and Lathrop that do not know Jesus Christ. We have a mission, Southwinds. We have a mission. We exist to help people who don't know Jesus become fully devoted followers of him. That's why we're here. And God doesn't need our money to accomplish that mission, but it's always the case that he invites his people to the privilege of joining him in that mission, participating in that, in what he is doing in the world to bring salvation and hope and grace and mercy to people far from him. That's such a blessing that we have that opportunity. And to do that, part of what we are to do is to share our resources for the work of his kingdom. Now, having said all of that, working through the story, here's where we're headed. David gives us an example in three ways I want you to see. Three ways we can have a ripple effect. So we impact the next generation when, first of all, we leverage money for God's eternal kingdom. That's what we see David doing. David knew that God's house was the only one that would last forever. And so he wanted to leverage his resources to be a part of something permanent. Do you want to be a part of something that outlasts you? That's what the challenge is about here. In fact, after God turns David down, he says this to him in the parallel account over in 2 Chronicles. And if you don't know, First uh, and Second Chronicles are parallel to the books of Samuel and Kings. They're kind of like director's cut. They give you extra stuff. And so in 2 Chronicles 6, 8, God says to David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. David, is a good thought. And then God tells David that what he can do is collect the materials that his son Solomon will need to build the temple. It's kind of interesting. Another part of, of Chronicles, David says, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. It's like dad is saying, I know, I know one day he will be the wisest guy to ever live. But right now he's just a teenager and he can't balance a checkbook and he always forgets to feed the dog. I know Solomon is young and inexperienced. Therefore, I will make preparation for it. And so David made extensive preparations before his death. He invested. He leveraged the resources he had for God's eternal kingdom. And God said that was a good thing. And God says that to us too. A man named Randy Alcorn has written a book that I think is one of the most formative books I've ever read on money. I would recommend it to any of you. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's actually a real small, very short book. You can read it pretty quickly. In this book, he says, financial planners tell us when it comes to your money, 
Don't just think three months or three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, don't ask how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. Do you look at your life in those terms? Jesus actually was saying exactly this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So, How can you leverage what God has given you for his eternal kingdom? How can you make an impact with your life that far outlasts you? Friends, the only way is when we invest in God's eternal kingdom by leveraging the money, the resources he has given us to see lives changed forever by the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, who will be in heaven because of you? Do you ever ask yourself that question? See, every single one of us should be able, by the end of our lives, to to recognize that there are people in heaven because we shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. We told them how they could come to, to know Jesus. But I want to tell you today, there should also be people in heaven because we shared God's resources, the money that's actually God that he gives to us for a time to further the work of God's kingdom. And David was an example of that. And God commended him. God said, David, I actually don't really need you at all. But the idea that you want to leverage what you have to be part of my eternal kingdom, well, that's a really good and wise idea. I hope you're thinking in those terms as well. It leads to the next thing we see. We we impact the next generation when we respond to God's grace with grateful sacrifice. Now, what we see in David's example is that he is so grateful to God for God's grace that he just wants to give something to God. He wants to show his love. He just looks around at all that God has done for him and says, he says, I just have to say thank you. Uh, Maybe the best example of this in David's life happens at the end of 2 Samuel. Uh, In this chapter, chapter 24, God has, has revealed to David the plot of land on which God wants to eventually build the temple. And so David, as part of his preparation, says, I'm going to go and find who owns this, and I'm going to buy this plot of land. And he gets there, and of course, he's the king, and he meets this guy who owns the land, and his name is Arana. And and he says says to him, I want to buy your land. And Arana says, well, David, you're the king, and it's for the temple of God, so you can just have it. I don't want to sell it. This is what says in 2 Samuel 24, 24. But the king replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. This is amazing. David insists on paying for this because he knows the issue is not providing something God needs. The main point is the statement that David's gift is making about the worth and the value of God to David. David says to Arana, I want to pay because I'm not trying to give God something he needs. I'm I'm making a statement about how worthy God is to me. You know, there there are some gifts that are valuable for the good that they can do in this world, but then there are some gifts that are priceless 
for the statement they make about the heart of the one giving to God. See, next gen, let me say it again, is not about God needing your money. Next gen is about God wanting to captivate your heart for his beauty and his worth, captivate your heart about the mission that he's on in our world. I wonder if you've ever found yourself at the point where you just look up to God and you say, God, I am so overwhelmed at the grace you have shown me in forgiving me of my sins. I have to do something. I have to give you something. Have you ever found yourself there? See, I think many of us, even some of us who actually give pretty faithfully to God, we end up kind of giving gifts that don't really cost us too much. I was thinking this week about the story of the woman in Luke chapter 7. Luke tells us that she had lived a sinful life and she had encountered Jesus and Jesus forgave her of her sins and he saved her. And, and she comes into this room and she is so overwhelmed by, by grace that she begins to weep. And she's bowed before Jesus. She washes his feet, we're told, with her tears. And then, then she takes an alabaster flask that is filled with this very, very expensive perfume. It was her most valuable possession. And she opens the flask, which required her to snap the neck of this flask. She broke it open. It could not be you know, shut again. And she pours it out over Jesus' feet. This would have been something worth hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars in our, our terms. You know, some gifts are priceless because of the statement they make about the heart of the giver and about the God that is served. And Jesus said this, looking at her gift, he said, as long as the gospel is preached, what this woman did will be talked about. And we just fulfilled once again his prophecy. See, it's, it's not at all like God needed her gift, but it made a priceless statement about her love. And here's the question that I'm asking you today. If David was grateful to God because of what he had seen God do, how much more should we today be grateful to God? We've seen the life of Jesus. We've seen the cross. We've seen the empty tomb. We've seen the coming of the Holy Spirit who today indwells our lives and gives us comfort and strength and wisdom and power and, and joy. We have the privilege of being part of God's forever family. We have seen so much more than David ever saw. So how much more should we respond? There ought to just be something inside you that rises up and says, God, I have to. I have to show you how much I love you. I will not give you that which costs me nothing. Here's another question, kind of a diagnostic. And I challenge you, I dare you to honestly ask, ask and answer this question. If you were to take your gifts over the last year, what kind of statement do those gifts make about your value of God and his love for you? What if you were to come home one day and there's a friend sitting on your porch and he's waiting for you and he tells you, hey, a guy showed up and you owed him money and, you're, you're, and your friend says, but you don't need to worry about it. I paid the debt. Now, here's the question. What kind of response would you have to your friend? And the answer is, well, it depends right? It depends on how much he paid. Because if the man who showed up 
demanding payment for a debt was the postman, and he had postage due, and your friend gave him a stamp, 48 cents, then you pat your friend on the back and say, thanks, buddy, appreciate it. But if your friend tells you it was the IRS and you owe $900,000 in back taxes, they were here to arrest you and take you to jail, but don't worry, I wrote a check and paid it all off. You're good. If that's what happened, at that point, you don't say, thanks, buddy, right? At that point, you fall down at your friend's feet and you say, command me. (laughs) (laughs) The price paid demands a different kind of response. So here's the thing. Here's what I know. Some of us today are considering making a next-gen commitment that is just enough to alleviate our guilt or maybe just enough to get our spouse off our back. That's what we're thinking. David's example calls us to respond out of gratitude for God's goodness and mercy and grace to us in the sending of his son. I wish I had time to share with you all of the blessings that we have experienced here at Southwinds Church. So many things over the years. Here's one that a lot of us haven't heard about. Many of you have probably looked at our property and realized that this ground that we're on here is a lot higher than the streets around us. Anybody ever notice that? It's actually about 12 feet above the, the natural grade because we're in a floodplain and uh, you know the, the county's required anything to be built here to be built high enough to be above that. Does anybody want to know where all that dirt came from that allowed us to build it up? Here's the short version. It has all been donated to the church over the years free of cost. The estimated value of the dirt on which our buildings are built and our future buildings will be built is about $1 million. It's free. Nobody paid for it. God brought it our way. God has blessed us in so many ways. See, what NextGen is about is this opportunity we have to have an impact that ripples out into eternity as we respond to the beauty and the grace of Jesus. So what is Jesus worthy of to you? And I'm challenging you to say that he is worthy of an all-in, fully voted response because of the grace that he has shown to you. Now that's going to look different for different ones of us. Please don't get hung up on what you think other people are doing and whether you feel like your gift is big enough. For some of us, that all-in, fully devoted response will be one size. For other people, it'll be another size. God knows, and he will speak to you, and he will give you guidance. You be obedient to what he tells you. You be faithful to what he tells you, and God will enable you to make an impact. Here's the third thing that we see. We impact the next generation when we obey God's direction for our giving. What we see in David's story is that he did exactly with his money what God instructed him because he first of all recognized it was all God's and he just was, his job was just to do whatever God said. Again, God owns our money. And so we should start with obedience. And many people overlook this aspect of giving. The Bible gives us many clear instructions about our money, and we are to obey those things. And there there are times where God's Spirit will put something on our hearts, specific things He wants us to do and give. If you've read the Bible, maybe you've noticed there are many times as the Bible talks about giving, it will say things like, God stirred them up in their hearts, and, and, and so they gave. Back in 
the book of Exodus, when Moses was receiving the resources necessary to build this tabernacle that we've been reading about, we are told this. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Did you hear that repetition? It's about willingness. It's about your heart being moved and responding freely. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, giving is supposed to be in our lives a spirit-driven thing in which we ask God for leadership and the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and we listen to him and we obey as he directs. A pastor named David Jeremiah wrote these words. He says, I sometimes think the reason people don't know what to give God is because they've never asked him what to give. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to God, God, you own everything that I have. I recognize that it's all yours. And so I'm asking you, will you tell me what you want me to do with it? In fact, I dare you to pray that prayer. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Do you trust God enough to pray that prayer? Here's the thing about next gen. I'm just telling you this as, as your pastor. I believe if we all ask God that question and if we all listen to God's voice and if we all obey what God tells us to do, that God will stir up in our hearts what we need to move ahead with his mission in our valley. I believe that. I'm confident of that. See, I'm not here, I'm not here to try to play the Holy Spirit and tell you what it is you're supposed to give. I can't tell you that. I don't know that. I'm not God. I don't know what God wants you to do. What I'm here to do is this. I am here to encourage you to listen to him. That is my job. Because when you've listened to him and when you've obeyed him, then you can move ahead in peace. You won't need to feel guilty about what you think somebody else is doing or what you think maybe Pastor Mike thinks you should do. I don't know what you should do. But God does. And so listen to him and be settled in your heart. My job is just to encourage you to ask the question. Will you ask the question? See, if you're going to walk with Jesus, this is just part of, of the process. It's kind of an interesting thing. If you've walked with him long, you've discovered this on your own. Some of you haven't yet, but let me just tell you this. God rarely gives you a specific amount as you walk through life. And I know that's a, a disappointment uh, to you rule-following, get-the-gold-star legalists. Here's the thing you need to know. God's focus for our giving is always on our hearts, not on our wallets. That's what God is about because God doesn't need my money. And generosity is not something God wants from us. It is something he wants for us. Some of you have never thought that. You've never realized that. You ought to write that down and think about it, that God wants generosity in your life because it's for your good. I want to go to the New Testament now and very quickly show you how Paul picks these very same things up in his teaching on giving. Just one example, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Paul says this, 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And Paul is just talking about how riches have this way of stealing our hearts away from God. We put our hope in it, and money can replace God in our hearts if we're not careful. Friends, this is the danger for all of us. All of us face this. It's kind of an interesting thing along this line. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, was speaking to a group of people. This is in Matthew 6, and he was talking about worshiping money. And and he he identifies two personality types that have a problem with money, but in completely different ways. He says, first of all, there are some people who look at money as a source of significance and beauty. For them, money buys the good life. They work hard for money, and when they get it, they spend it because nice stuff makes them feel important and beautiful. And and Jesus says to those people, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as beautifully as one of these. Jesus is pointing people to a, a beauty and significance that God gives that goes way beyond anything money can give us. But then there's another personality type, and this type looks at money as security. Money is their safeguard against a rainy day, and so when they get money, they save money. And have you noticed in God's sense of humor, these two kinds of people always get married to each other? (laughs) Ever noticed that? Now, this second group, Jesus says, consider the ravens. They don't Pack away for the future because God cares for them. Are you not of more value to God than ravens? Think about that. Ravens, they're not even good birds. They are evil looking birds. They're universally regarded as pests. They are black and ugly and ominous. They show up quoting nevermore, pretending death. I mean, nobody has a pet raven unless you're weird, you know. And Jesus is saying, if God even takes care of the nasty old ravens, surely he'll take care of you. See, in other words, God gives security way beyond anything money can provide. And so we have these two personalities, the saver and the spender, and both personalities can set their hope and set their affections on the uncertainty of riches rather than on God. And Paul is saying, tell those people to set their hope on God, to make God their treasure and make God their trust. Why? Well, he says, because God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. God gives money as a blessing, and God is glorified when you enjoy what he's given you. And, you know, if you will get this passage, you will, you will find the ability to enjoy some of the blessings of money without guilt. You remember that God is a dad, and good dads love to bless their kids. And just like you like to give good things to your children, so God likes to give things to his children, and he wants us to enjoy it. Verse 18 says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And Paul is just saying the same thing that David expressed, that that we are to give our money away to that which lasts. And it's an interesting thing. The focus here is on our hearts. See, many people in the New Testament were condemned over money, and it wasn't because God needed it and they kept it from him. It was because they, what they did with their money indicated that their heart belonged to a false god. And God invites us to join him in what he is doing 
so that we can be part of the true God's mission and not be sidetracked and not be damaged by following idols. False gods will never bring us anything. I want to give you real quickly three questions that I can ask about my giving that I think will help you to kind of think this through on your own this week. The first question is, what does what I do with my money show that I delight in? What does it show? Second question is, what does what I do with my money show that I trust in? And then the third question is, what does what I do with my money show what kingdom I'm building? See, what do these questions tell you about the way you give? Just just in general terms, what do they tell you about the commitment that you're considering making? You know, there are many of you who have been asking me these last few weeks, well, I'm not sure, Pastor Mike, how do we decide, you know, what we will do? And this entire message has been designed not to tell you what to do, but to give you guidance, to see principles that you can use under God's Spirit's leadership to apply to your life for how you can make an eternal difference, how you can see your life have a ripple effect that goes out beyond you into the future, impacting the next generation. I'm going to get really, really practical here very quickly and give you some simple steps you can take next week um, as you decide on the commitment God is calling you to make. Number one, pray and give thanks. It starts with asking God what he wants you to do. And as part of asking God, you should be expressing your gratitude to God because he has sent his son and Jesus has died and you have forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. That's called a pretty big blessing when you say, pray and give thanks. And then second, ask the three questions and we've been sharing with you at different times. They are simply, what can I reasonably give? We just start with looking at our resources and then we move next to what can I sacrifice? And I think every one of us here um, probably almost without exception, has some areas in our life where there are things that we do, and they're not wrong, but we don't have to do those things. And so we can choose during a season like this to take those resources and direct them in a new direction that we think has greater value. And then the third question is, what can I trust God for? Some of you are going to pray And you're going to sense God's leadership to do something. And you're going to say when you sense his leadership, I don't know where that would come from. I don't have that kind of money. And then you'll be faced with the question, is God a good God that I can trust? Can I walk with him over these next three years and see him work in my life? Uh, Those are the questions you need to ask. And then, you know, it's really going to come down to this third thing. Are you going to be willing to step out in faith? Because you have to decide, you have to make a commitment you know, I shared a couple of weeks ago, and maybe some of you weren't here, but our, our student ministry has set a goal from our teenagers of over the next three years giving $50,000. It's going to be exciting to see what God does there. Our children have been collecting money in their little Lego banks that they built, and they've already given over these weeks over $600. We've also seen some folks in our church who have stepped out in faith and made some advanced commitments. And I'm here to share with you today that the advanced commitments that we have received up to this point total $773,900. We are moving on the way. And by the way, let me just let you know, uh, this amount comes from 18 families. 
18 families in our church. I want to share a story with you as I close of someone in the Southwinds family who has taken a step of faith, who has made a commitment. And it's kind of an interesting thing as they shared it with me actually just this week. They've been walking a journey of growth and generosity and sacrifice that started before Next Gen. God was working in their lives before this came. And, and here's what they wrote. A few weeks ago, when, when Pastor Mike preached about getting out of the boat, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, we just got out of the boat because this past January, God placed it on my heart to double what we were giving. I spoke to my husband about it and he had been hearing the same thing. So we decided to not only double what we were giving to the church, but to also add four new charities and sponsor a child. We completely put all our trust in God as we weren't quite sure how we were going to manage. Then the next gen campaign was introduced and we thought, How can we possibly go above and beyond what we've already just done? We decided on an initial amount that we thought we could manage, and then a 36-month commitment amount. And we were pretty happy about what we had chosen, but we really wished it could have been more. We were trying to come up with all sorts of ways to give more when we found out that we were each going to receive a bonus at work on May 20th. God completely came through for us. And this was not the first time that he had come through at exactly the time we needed him. Even though we now had an initial amount that we were happy with, my husband shared with me that he felt God pressing on his heart to do even more, but we just couldn't find any other cuts to make. We continued to pray, asking God to show us how we could give more, and sure enough, God came through again. This week, and by this week, in the last few days, this week we received a phone call from our insurance company that they had made a mistake and would be sending us a refund. I remember in the early days when I wanted to give more, and my husband was scared that we wouldn't be able to, and I would always show him where God was being faithful to provide for us. He was completely amazed. We have no doubt that God will continue to provide for us if we just put our trust in him. I believe that too. And as every one of us together, every one of us together, ask God what he wants us to do, follows his direction for our lives, whatever that is, and we do that in obedience, we do that in sacrifice, we do that in generosity, I I believe that we together can make a difference that's going to go far beyond our lives, an impact that's going to ripple out from this place in 2016 into the future, into the next generation, into even eternity, because people, thousands and thousands of people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ and have their lives changed because of what we do. Don't you want to be part of something like that? That is the challenge before us. And I hope, I hope that you won't miss out. I hope that every one of us will join in on the next gen journey. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Father, we ask you uh, today and tomorrow and Lord, all through this next week that uh, you would just be speaking so clearly to every one of us. Lord, we are your children and we are part of your family and You have given us a mission, and our hearts are just full of gratitude for your grace. 
Lord, may we look beyond ourselves and see your beauty. May we we look beyond ourselves and see our world that's so lost and so desperate for your grace and your mercy and love. And Lord, may we respond to you, only to you, with obedience, sacrifice, and love. Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave his life for us. And all God's people together said,